martyrdom. Tonight, I started walking back to you, Father. He was meant to be a stroll, but then I started walking faster, Father. I started chanting all the names of all the men I ever went to bed with, Father. My thighs were burning and my feet were heavy with blood, but I kept the pace and chants of names up, Father, listed them to the fence posts and the trees and didn't stop and started getting younger, Father, and walked all night till I was home, just a spark in your groin again, and told you not to bring me back to life told you I repented every name and had freed them of me, Father. Um, And so I'm going to mainly read from um, Playtime, uh, which is a book that only just kind of recently came out, so I'm still finding my way around it. Um, In it, I was thinking a lot about childhood, a lot about kind of early adolescence, and trying to think about how it is that we grow into our kind of sexual selves, how it is that we grow into the adults that we really become. And I don't know what it was like for people in this room, but for me, my kind of entire experience of sex education in school was that they wheeled in the school television and they put in an old VCR tape. And the only thing that I remember it saying is it said, when a man becomes sexually aroused, he might become flustered and want to take his jumper off. And that's all it said. Um, And I found that to be mostly true in the intervening years. Um, But I say that, I guess, only because this next poem that I'll read is set in another very kind of awkward space of school, which is the changing room. Um, And so this is just things said in the changing room. I don't still carry them on my shoulders, I think probably they're rested somewhere in the scoop of my clavicle, the time a teacher shamed my obese body as I pulled my shirt over my head, or the time a new young supply teacher seemed to look at me with pity as though my body was someone else's misbehaving child. So each time I take myself to the edge of the tiled square, Away from splintered benches, the whole thing no bigger than a modest corner shop and full of my classmates. The two types of bodies boys that age have, the flabby, baggy ones, the skin, a shirt draped over them they're trying to grow into, or the ones thin as Bunsen flame who seemed embarrassed by their own fragility all waiting for the body to exert itself over its own boundaries. Some boys knew how to make a performance of their size. My instinct was to hide, not shower, let the acrid stink of sweat and nylon settle on my skin. The ones skinny enough to be able to pretend muscle would take their time, do slow circuits of the group, hold eye contact with everyone. Over half of them have children now, 
where before I'd think of them undressing for their wives, now I'm kept awake by thoughts of them as fathers, what they're thinking as they bath their sons, how they will tell them the stories of their bodies, what soft curves they've built to hide the minor injuries of marriage, which parts have grown slower, which parts of them ache as they lift their boy out. What 1.6% of young men know. To get the body of their favourite sports star, they must starve themselves that the muscles are there already if they could only get at them, that the thing to do is eat less and replace meals with water so that they bloat and then feel their insides flushing out, that the stomach will expand and shrink back like a gas holder in a former industrial town, that once the body has burned off all its fat, it will start on muscle, that more exercise just gives more energy for the body to eat itself alive, that they can forget what it's like to stand without feeling dizzy, that their eyesight can fail, that their salad can be carried in smaller and smaller Tupperware boxes, that the doctor will be forced to ban the gym, will deliver his prognosis, that they will end up in the car park of the doctor's with their mum, saying, imagine a child of mine malnourished. There was a very early review of the book when it first came out that said, in many ways, you just have to read all the way to the end to make sure that he's really okay. (laughs) And I liked that idea of guilting a reader towards the end of the book. Before I kind of settled on this idea that I was interested in childhood and kind of early adolescence, I floundered a lot when writing this second book. I think think for everyone, once you've kind of finished a first collection that feels like a life's accumulation of stuff, it feels like a life's body of work, and then suddenly for the first time ever, I was left with nothing, and there was nothing left, and I didn't kind of know if I could do it again at all. And And also somewhere in the back of my head was this idea that that no one else had put there, but I thought, it's got to be different. I've got to do something radically different to that first book. And so I kind of floundered around, and at one point I said, I've got it. I'm going to write a series of historical sonnets about women. And that was my editor's reaction as well. Um, And so I quickly abandoned that project because it just didn't really work. But um, one of those poems survives, um, and it's about Jocasta, um, so mother of Oedipus, um, so anyone that's just been in Natalie's event as well, it kind of might have echoes of that. Um, and so there are two kind of famous, I guess, kind of endings for Jocasta and the after everything kind of gets discovered in the Oedipal myth. And one is that she cloisters herself away and never speaks to anyone ever again out of shame. And the more famous ending is that she takes her own life. Um, and it's that second one that I'm thinking about here. And this is just called Jocasta. Before I do, let me tell you what I've learned. You still have to wake up and carry on. I hadn't really mourned my husband much before this young one arrived inside the gates. His penetration went so deep inside it felt like a returning 
something coming home. I think I worked it out before he did, but I had missed him all these years and missed my husband. The brain is not logical. The body is not a desert even as we age. When he learned the truth, he looked repulsed. Part of me had always thought all men desired to re-enter the chamber of their birth, that war was just a symptom of their rage at not being able to. Well, my boy licked the sides I'd pushed him through, found the nipples I'd fed him with, and couldn't live with what he'd done. So now my lover's son has empty bread baskets for eyes, and his father has a shallow grave outside the city walls. And so I've learnt to trust only what I have in this one small room, this square of light, this handful of neck, this noose, this table, this one short step. I did that thing again, putting together this book where you kind of, the all poets do, where eventually you just kind of can't see the wood from the trees. You can't kind of tell if it's any good. And so I just kind of was, a colleague that I was working with at the time just gave it to her and said, just tell me if it's any good. Just take it away over the weekend. I'm fed up of it. Come back in on Monday and just kind of let me know what you think. And so she kind of took it away over the weekend and came back into the office on Monday morning and just walked into my office and just looked at me and said, oh, your poor mother and then just walked back out. Um, and in many ways, that's a nice epigraph to the whole book, I think, that phrase. Um, I'll finish off um, my kind of first little section, I guess, with this poem. Um, I'm turning 30 at the end of this month. Gasps of shock from the audience, thank you. Um, and for whatever reason, that's not precipitated a kind of massive crisis for me, I don't think, except that I decided that I would hire a personal trainer um, and kind of get really buff and in shape, and so that's my kind of mission. Um, I turned 30 very soon, and so I think in many ways I should have started earlier, but <laughs> never mind. Um, but it's, a, it's the second time I've kind of ever had a personal trainer. So when I first started university, I spent the money that I should have spent on my yearly bus pass and gave it to a personal trainer, and as seemed logical at the time. Um, and this is just a poem about one of his kind of techniques that he employed in order to try and bulk me up. It's called Personal Trainer. Remember, first the body must be bruised so it can heal itself stronger. Tense your stomach. I am going to punch you as though you were a weight bag. I'll hit your sleeping abdominals, force them away. I will punch you. Though I know you've never been punched before, smacked, yes, on your wrist or your ass to reprimand you as a child, but never someone wanting to hurt you. I will punch you so your body grows more resilient, so it learns the centre of its own gravity. I will punch you until you go slack, and then I'll send you home. In the morning, you will ache. You'll feel as though you have been 
trodden on, standing or sitting will require you to fold yourself like a hinge. Your muscles will not yet be ready to be stretched. This will last for days until you're ready to be punched again. It is in this way I will build you, your abs screwing tighter every week, holding themselves closer to the surface of the skin, like the knuckles of a fist which is being clenched and pushed forwards. 85 pound a week for that. <laughs> I'll welcome Kate to the stage. Thank you very much. to um, record some poems for the BBC, um, I think it was about three or four years ago actually, and I recorded them and then um, you ra I rang up about a contract thing and I said, but the recording's all right, and they said, oh, we got an actor in, we needed a younger voice. <laughs> uh, I, I, I made, I'm making some small mewling noises at the other end as they, 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 um, they rode back, but it had been said, so I, I'm actually too old to be me. Or rather, I'm too old to inhabit my poems. Um, I haven't actually written poems for, for 15 years, and Patrick's asked me to read them. I do want to do that. So I was trying to go back and kind of reclaim them. And um, it makes it worse, to, obviously, to be reading with somebody young and protean like Ian, um, especially when I'm reading my poems from exactly that age. But anyway, I'm, I'm still going to do it, so tough. Um, th th this, is, this is my first poem. This is Slatten written on the occasion of my having untidied everything in my, of my, in my drawers in order to tidy it back in again and then being too depressed to actually do it. So I was looking, looking at everything. Slatten is what my mother calls me. It just means untidy girl. I leave myself about, slattenly, bits of me in times I liked. I let them go on lying where they fall, crumple if they will. I know fine how to make them walk and breathe again. Sometimes at night or on the train, I dream I'm dancing or lying in someone's arms who says he loves my eyes in French. And again and again, I am walking up your road, that first time bidden and wanted, the blossom and the trees, light, light and buoyant. Pull yourself together, they say, quite rightly. But she's stubborn, that girl, that hopeful one, still walking. You can hear my mother, actually, just at the end there. She's just making a small appearance. Um, when, I, when I was looking at them, um, I thought that probably my poems about crushes stood up the best. Um, this is a poem about a terrible crush on a very distant man, um, and it, it um, uses Simeon Stylites, who was a saint who managed to become a saint. I think the, the criteria were different in those days, and, and um, he stood on a really high pillar, 40 feet in the air, in the Antiochian desert, only then that became quite fashionable, and there were quite a few Stylites, and then he had a really, really big one made. 
um, which, on which he died in the end, which poses a lot of questions, I guess, religious but, and so on. But my questions was, were, were really, who was supplying the sandwiches? Um, was there a pulley? Um, and I, I reckon probably it was a woman. Um, there, there, there's, a, there's a pulley and some Tupperware in this poem. <laughs> the Acolyte. Though you swear you are not, Simeon Stylites wouldn't spend, as he did, half your life on a pillar, crane still amid acres of Antiochian desert, surveying a perfect circumference of sunset and nearer to God by a clear 60 feet. I found myself lately dreaming of pulleys, of yard arms, of bundles, of rope, the number of Tupperware beakers of cordial, of wax-papered triangles, of potted meat sandwich that a suspended lunch bucket could practically take. And I sleep in your absence, turning and turning like the hand of a watch or a woman prostrate at the foot of a glaring white pillar pursuing through noon and siesta the rotating shadow of a foreshortened athletic odd form at the peak. Um, and this is speculation. There's a, an eclipse of the sun. That's been a very long time ago. But, uh, you know, and they always have all those danger notices about the different ways you're supposed to look at it, and you're supposed to look at it backwards through a, through a small hole in a cornflakes packet. Um, you know, and then it usually rains. rains. But it's, a, it's, a, it's another poem about, about a crush. Speculation. The papers promised an eclipse. The moon's black disk distinctly, slowly, pushed partway across the sun as a counter for the highest stakes is slid circumspectly on another. They added, I should only watch backwards through a cardboard box. Even supplied a diagram, numbered those already blind. It rained all afternoon, of course. It was not till four o'clock that I went out and saw in the empty silvered street a shadow on the shadowed light, a scarf of dark like smoke from barricades of tires. I thought of how it is with us. I stare, you turn away and flush, as if from heat or a blinding glare. We generate that sort of weight, a thickening of the atmosphere. Um, this, 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 this poem has become my most popular poem. It's, it's really odd. I nearly didn't, nearly didn't publish it. Now it is all over the web, often with its line breaks in different places. And recently, while ego surfing, I not only found it being murmured from Louis to Harry on a, on a One Direction porn, fa um, porn fan base, but <laughs> I also found it translated into Italian and being murmured to the guitar by a man named Sergio on YouTube. Um, people read it at weddings, which I find very strange. It's a very sad poem. It's um, about I mean, lost love, and I think there's a small clue in the fact it's all in the past tense, but never mind. <laughs> this, <laughs> there we go. This is Patagonia, um, and Patagonia just being the furthest place I could think of. I said, perhaps Patagonia, and pictured a peninsula 
wide enough for a couple of ladderback chairs to wobble on at high tide. I thought of us in breathless cold, facing an horizon round as a coin looped in a cat's cradle strung by gulls from sea to sun. I planned to wait till the waves had bored themselves to sleep, till the last clinging barnacles growing worried in the hush had paddled off in tiny coracles, till those restless birds, your actor's hands, had dropped slack into your lap, until you turned at last to me. When I spoke of Patagonia, I meant skies all empty, aching blue. I meant years. I meant all of them with you. Um, and I'm just going to read two, two more poems and then hand, hand back over to, to Ian. So, uh, the, the <laughs> um, one, one of the ongoing battles in my writing and thinking really is about nationality. Um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm Scottish, and I can't live there, don't live there anymore. Uh, and this is about sort of shifting, shifting identity. And again, when I was re-looking at them, I think this one stands up quite well as well. It's called The Bridge Over the Border, which is not really the border, but, that, but if, you go, if you go up the East Coast Line, there's a bit where you kind of stop. Um, after Northumberland, it always feels like the border. Here, I should surely think of home, my country, and the neat, steep town where I grew up, its banks of cloud, the winds and changing, stagey light, its bouts of surly, freezing rain. Or failing that, at the time, the train stuck here half an hour. It was hot for once. The engine seemed to grunt and breathe with us, and in the hush, the busker at the back plucked out, Scotland, the brave. There was a filmic golden light, and the man opposite was struck, he said, with love. He saw a country in my eyes. But he was from Los Angeles. And I was thinking of another bridge. It was October. I was running to meet a man with whom things were not quite settled, were not, in fact, to ever settle. And I stopped halfway to gaze at birds, swallows in their distant thousands, drawn to Africa, or heat, or home, not knowing which, but certain how. Shifting on the paper sky, there were crosses and stock market graphs. They were sand and hoops shaken sideways. And I stared as if panning for gold. And I just, sorry, it's not quite here. This, um, lo looking back, so the poem's about love and then the poem's about death. Um, and this is... This is probably perhaps more the kind I can, my age really. So, so it's when you, when you catch up with people and realise that who's died and so on. <laughs> um, and I had a strange experience of a Skype call to my people I was at college with in America, and I swear that was like being dead. It was like they all gathered around the computer, so it was like I was looking out from this coffin, and then these people. That <laughs> and and also the you know the things like I went to that went to that. Did you maybe Janine went to that the poet's reception in Buckingham Palace? where everybody, obviously except me, had aged most terribly. And everyone, this like some dreadful dream, some curse had fallen on us. Anyway, this poem is called Deep Blue. Um, I used to play chess. 
and it's um, a poem for my friend John Blau, who he died in the AIDS epidemic. Um, he, he got in some frightful accident. I knew him as a bright young man. Um, and in this, in this poem, the, it's, the, it's the, the, the hearing of the news that happens. Um, but it also has that idea of death, the chess player. I was thinking of those old Hungarian chess players. You still, I don't know if you still see, used to see them on the streets of New York, taking you on. And John was always the kind of person who would have, who would have joined in. Um, and then I'll, so I'll read this one, and then I'll hand back to, to Ian. Um, and it's called Deep Blue, because that was the computer that beat Kasparov. Deep Blue in the me memoriam, John Blau, 1964 to 1991. I was not surprised to hear the rest survived were anthropologists in Vegas, parents or beat poets had turned heterosexual and got tenure at Yale. How even the tortoise we fished out of the turtle tank in that upstreet, backstreet pet shop, upstate, backstreet pet shop, still trundles round, armoured and mechanical, drearily alive, while you, you had died. You were always the one everyone chose, the athlete, the actor, the centre of the photo with your arms on many shoulders. I can hear your rapid Disney laugh, see you reading Shakespeare in a college letter jacket. It was Indian summer, you strutted on a wall, your intent coiled back, dark mobile face, inhabiting the fool. It was the mechanism got me, the intricate encroachment of the thing. A single night in Texas. Nobody could die from that, unless somebody planned it, unless death crouched a long time at his chessboard, working it out, unless he called to you in passing, patted the sat cafe seat beside him, quaint, European, an old man in the sun, then offered easy odds and gambits of top rolls and turtles, hooked your night, sipped coffee, let his bishop slide, chuckled and checked you, shut his roomy, hooded eyes. You were easily bored. You must have laughed that laugh and leant across, twitched the king, slapped the clock and turned to the street to the girls and the flowers, stretched your basketball limbs, tucked your thumbs in your pockets, young, young, or Bogart, American. You would have smiled when he murmured your name. And I'm shocked when I imagine the click of wood on wood and your face when you recognise the absolute design of his swift and final black rook move. Ian, alas, is unavailable. You have to make do with me. Um, that's all right. We've also stolen my book. So I'll just read the same poems again, but in a different order <laughs> as the first time. Um, you know, that beautiful poem that Kate just finished with um, segues really nicely, I hope, into this poem at least. Um, 
I'm, I was born in 1988, and so I'm kind of part of a really lucky um, generation of young gay men in that I came of age post kind of worst of the AIDS crisis, but I'm still of an age where we still carried the weight of, the, of that era, really, um, with us. And in 1988 was also the time that Margaret Thatcher stood up quite randomly, it seemed at the time, at the Conservative Party conference and said, children have been taught that they have an inalienable right to be gay. We must put them back on the moral path and introduced Section 28, which banned any public sector worker from promoting, but really rather talking at all about homosexuality. So school teachers, nurses, any kind of public official. Um, and that was rescinded in 2003, when I was in year nine of secondary school. Um, and so it's easy to forget, I think, it seems as though progress happened very quickly in the last sort of 10, 15 years, how kind of close by a lot of these things are um, and I was thinking just about everything and about everything, um, elegy as well, I guess, as, as Kate was just giving us. And um, this poem just simply called Blood. We could be gathered for the reading of a will. Each of us wanting to learn what it is we have inherited from the one who loved or did not love us. The nurse calls me in for bloods, taps my upper arm as though it is a trunk she's trying to coax sap from. I close my eyes, and when I open them, it's done, sitting mottled in its canister. And there are the questions to be answered. Yes, I know the risks associated, and yes, once he was Brazilian. Yes, I did ask, positive, no protection. When I leave, I feel a dread moving in that will not lift for two weeks, settling down to the front of my skull until the text comes through and I am light again, having put my ear to the dense secrets of my blood and heard nothing but the curious weight which has been passed down through the generations of this family to know how close to us the dead are sitting and to believe we honour them best by living. Throughout the book, um, there's a series of first-time poems um, which start off as kind of self-exploration, to put it euphemistically, um, and then end up in kind of loss of virginity, just as a way of trying to explore the ways that we kind of come to terms with our own bodies. Um, one editor, not my editor, kind of perhaps uncharitably suggested that I should have called the book Wanks for the Memories, <laughs> which I thought would have been reductive, and so I ignored that advice. Um, the poem... I'm sorry, I know I'm in a church. Um, the poem I'll read next is just about... I'm fascinated by that kind of cusp of pre-adolescence before anything is kind of sexual, before anything is really rude, and yet there's a kind of urgency in the body. There's some sort of urgency that's drawing you towards other things, even if you don't quite yet know what that is, I guess. Um, and this is just a poem thinking about that really called, called Glimpse. On the pitch by my house, the weekly game of football, there was one lad 
already famous in our class for having snogged a girl, and still my friend, despite the pull of the pack mentality I always felt outside of. I had no skill, could only put my body in front of someone else in hopes of slowing them for a moment. And this time, it caused my friend to fall, and in the split second it took for him to regain himself, I saw, slipped from shorts and briefs, his whole private self, though he hadn't noticed, still giggling at my sudden prowess at defence. And after that, there were other times, crowding into a friend's bedroom, me pretending not to look as someone showed himself to a girl, and the emptiness that followed, nobody yet ready to do the things that come after, though it was still deliberate, and so different from that earlier time, the grass, the glimpse of something that seemed to be all potential, tiny sapling, not yet seeding, just another part of our innocence, fear and lust and shame, not yet ripened to full blush. One of the other kind of early reviews of this book online, you should never read the comments online, said, F this boy and his stupid penis poems. This next poem is called Penises. <laughs> I disagree with you on this one small point. The time you said of penises, when you've seen one, you've seen them all, I think. You're wrong. Each one is fingerprint unique each with its own way of being in the world, shy or all bravado or statesmanlike. It's not size, though you can feel each one trying to push itself upright like a schoolboy hoping to be called on to give an answer. It's smaller things, the smell of each one, the way the day can linger there beneath the slim lips of the foreskin, each with its own direction, each with its own personality, its own way of introducing itself, each of them a personal totem for the bearer, each its own low pendulum marking the passing of each year with its own minutiae of successes, changes, health scares, each one of singular importance to each singular man, each treasured and wept for, and prone to misjudgment, and not to be trusted. Um, I have a partner who, um, my boyfriend, who just hates poetry, which I kind of love about him, and I couldn't drag him to a poetry reading with wild horses. One time, the, the kind of, my abiding memory of that is that every so often in this kind of line of work, work, you kind of get asked to do something that just kind of really thrills you and you get really excited. And I, um, I was asked to interview the novelist, Alan Hollinghurst, and they said, go to Alan Hollinghurst's flat and sit with him and we'll just take some pictures and someone will come and kind of record what you say and just have a conversation. It was for The Observer, I think. And 
I was just kind of like, I'd grown up reading Alan's novels and I was kind of obsessed and I just had the best day and we were in his flat and we talked. And then on the way home, um, I got an email from Favour and one of my favourite ever poets is Tom Gunn and they were bringing out a new selected poems of Tom Gunn and said, would I kind of write a comment for it? And I was just so excited. I thought, God, this is just the, one of the best days of my life. And I got home and I kind of, my boyfriend was already in bed and so I woke him up and kind of started telling him everything. And he just rolled over and said, Andrew, you're not curing cancer. And then just went back to bed. Um, and at that point, I needed that. I needed bringing back down to earth. Um, it was very good of him. He's nice like that. Um, and this is kind of the only poem in the book, really, that is a potentially kind of happy poem, um, or the only poem, I guess, that's really about him in any way. Um, and this is just called Intimates. I'm wearing your underwear to the office. After a long fortnight of working and not enough time to sort and wash the stains that mark our progress through a day, I want to make a kink from this necessity, but don't get how. Is it that undressing later you'll see something of yourself on me and want it back? Is it that I've taken without asking and this slight transgression reframes me as a stranger? Is it something about simply feeling closer, the rub of the other against the self in their absence? I feel none of that as I pull the boxes from a pile where each identical pair smell of detergent and are slightly too small for my body, which has spread through comfort since you moved in. For all day, something of yours is hugging close to the worst parts of myself. Less than a year ago, I could not have imagined the possibility of something so wonderful. Oh, that's as kind of nice as I get, really. Um, I'll just read two more quick poems um, and then pass back over to Kate. Um, we bought our first house um, about 18 months ago. Me and my partner, not me and Kate together. Um, me and my partner, first house about 18 months ago. Um, a kind of old, run-down, kind of old Victorian house in North Manchester. And because I'm utterly impractical at anything, that's just meant that we've had a kind of series of workmen kind of traipsing through the house to do everything that I'm too impractical to do. And so I've, I've kind of just been having fun observing workmen in their kind of natural environment. And what I've learned is that you invite a workman in and you point to the thing that you think needs fixing, and then they just look around the rest of the room and sigh existentially in a way that suggests the entire house is about to fall down. We got one guy around, and the survey that we got when we got the house said, oh, there's a bit of damp in the cellar, there's damp in the cellar. So I got this one guy, took him down to the cellar and said, look, there's damp, what shall we do? How do we solve this damp? So he looked around, and he sighed. And then he said, what I would do what I would do is I would Google it. <laughs> well, not thought of doing that. Thank you very much, sir. That was useful. Um, so this is just called Workman. Be a welcoming host. Serve him coffee. Keep out of his way. Noise is how he lets you know he's useful. Learn to embrace it. Do not resent the dust. Think of it as all his sweat made solid. Run your finger through it. Put out your tongue and feel the roughness of his trade. Offer him more coffee. Ask him about his wife. 
When he raises his hands to the top shelf, he is mending. Try not to look too obviously as his shirt prizes its way out of its tuck and shows a belly midway between muscled and beer. I know what work is. It is the completing of a thing half done. Something perhaps that you started but failed at and so had to ask for help. When he comes, it is because you have called him. Open your door. He will be dressed brazenly in paint and rubble of his labours. Invite him in. Ask him to take his shoes off. Shake his hand. Point him towards the place where he is needed. And then I guess the secret extra line of that poem is give them a good score on checkertrade.com or wherever else you find your handymen. Um, I'll just finish off with this one quick poem. It's been such a joy to come down to North Cornwall Book Festival to be able to meet Patrick, um, who I've kind of really enjoyed a good Twitter friendship with, um, but great to meet him in real life. And to share a stage with Kate is just a genuine honour. And I think we talk a lot about... I talked in my workshop this morning about poets who give us permission to write the way we write or poets who we take a real lead from and for me Kate's always been one of those poets and so share a stage um, has been a real honour. I'll just read this one little short poem to finish. It's called Inheritance. You call me to task, roll on to your stomach. Without a word from you I know to take my tongue and run it the length of your back. Base of spine to ears where the teeth will let themselves be heard. It's not a straight line that does it, but rather random lappings like spots of rain before a storm. It is something I was told by someone else who showed me on my own back. When it's done right, it sends a feeling of surprise towards the neck, escaping as brief moans and so it is, I pass it on. And isn't this what humankind was made for? Telling stories, learning where the skin is most in need of touch, teaching as we ourselves were taught of pleasure. Thank you very much. I've got, yeah, I've got the mic on. Yeah. Um, Andrew, honestly, I was teaching in the 90s and the 2000s, and we, we didn't pay attention to that thing, that course 28. This is just for you. This, the, these were two boys I was teaching in the 90s, um, and uh, this is how they told me they were in love. That they, at the end of the terms called them the pairism, and it's about their boots. First day back, and they wait to tell me of their long boy's summer, how they clocked 3,000 miles in their new old car, spent Saturdays schlepping round Kitch South End, drove uninsured and smiling to the beach at Le Toquet. By August, their parents were post-it notes on a trembling fridge at noon, and the bed, unmade since June, lay rucked in candlewick, sunlit, D 
dunes. And then these boots, these high-sided, butch-toed things with untied thongs and lolling tongues. Two pairs, the spit, but bought, they tell me, separately, because there's nothing going on here, just telepathy. Um, I was going to read some poems from my last collection, which was called Newborn, um, and was about having a baby, which wasn't, it's actually become fashionable again. But at the time, it, it really didn't do very well. I mean, lots of people bought it, but it didn't do very well. It's got two poems in the middle, well, the, the two poems with, with the birth um, and that's kind of where I'm going to start. So it starts, it's called Driving to the Hospital and Driving Home. Um, and that, you know, they're, they're match poems. So they're, they're the same, they're a pair. But um, in the first one, the you that the poem's addressed to is the father. And in the second poem, the you that the poem's addressed to is the baby. And I actually wrote the poems and nearly published them before I noticed that I'd done that. But, but actually, that's what happened. Um, and people, you know, that the, the focus suddenly shifts that way. Um, and it started, we, uh, we had forgotten to put enough, they always tell you in NCT classes to put enough petrol in the car, but, <laughs> but we didn't. <laughs> we, this we had failed to do. Um, and then when you come out of the hospital, you drive very, very strangely slowly with a new baby. You, you know, people get arrested because the police think they're drunk or something. Such a feeling of caution. Driving to the hospital. We were low on petrol, so I said, let's freewheel when we get to the hill. It was dawn, and the city was nursing its quiet, and I liked the idea of arriving with barely a crunch on the gravel. You smiled kindly and eased the clutch gently and backed us out of the driveway and patted my knee with exactly the gesture you used when we were courting, remember, on the way to your brother's. I like driving with my baby, that's what you said. And at the time I wondered why my heart leapt and leapt. Driving home. I want you to know it was your father picked you up when you were crumpled and warm with a handkerchief drawn from his pocket. And your father, who walked you out of the maze of the hospital, while I flapped largely behind, and your father, who tucked you into the car and chose the exit unearingly and drove us home evenly, slowly, as though we were nosing through floral, curious crowds as if the car were an ambassador and we were rich suddenly, tremulous, old. Um, another thing they told me at NCT classes was that you would... Um, Love your baby and know what to do with it. I had really a lot, a lot, lot better idea of how to take care of cats. And this, uh, th this is about that, that the, the process of, of, of learning, of it, learning love. I hadn't met his kind before. His misery-cored face, really like a joke on his father, blurred as if from years of polish. His hands, like curled dry leaves, the profligate heat he gave out, gave out his shallow, careful breaths. I thought his filaments would blow. I thought he was an emperor, dying on silk cushions. I didn't know how to keep him wrapped, 
I didn't know how to give him suck. I had no idea about him. At night, I tried to remember the feel of his head on my neck, the skull small as a cat's, the soft spot hot as a smelted coin, and the hair, the down, fine as the innermost vellum layer of some rare snow creature's aureole of fur. If you could meet such a beast, if you could get so near, I started there. Um, there's a very enchanting thing that very small children do when they they're looking at the hand and they make these kind of babies make these sort of gestures as if they were priests of some unknown religion. Uh, and this, this is called infant. In your frowning fugitive days, small love, your coracled ecstatic nights, possessed or at peace, hands clenched on an unseen rope or raised in blessing like the Pope. As your white etched feet tread sooty roofs of canal tunnels or lie released, stretch north in sleep, you seem to me an early saint, a Celt, eyes fixed on a celestial light, patiently setting the sextant straight to follow your God-sent map, now braced against a baffling gale, now becalmed, fingers barely sculling through warm muddy tides. Soon you will make your way out of this estuary country, leave the low farms and fog banks, tack through the brackish channels and long reed-clogged rivulets, reach the last turn, the salt air and river mouth, the wide grey sea beyond it. Um, something that, I don't know if you've seen Liz Berry's The Republic of Motherhood, which is um, about a thing I didn't quite dare to write about, which is going absolutely mad. Um, and after you've had a baby, and I was admiring that poem so much and thinking I was such a coward, I didn't write about it. But I did a little bit, um, and this is it's called Ararat. It's about getting to the other end of the first six months and realising that strange stuff has happened. Um, and there was a lot of rain that year as well. Ararat, winter of floods, winter of broken banks and radio warnings, and me running down the road with a pushchair screaming and a cloud helicoptering low behind me. Remember even the genteel charwell bursting, the Isis brimming, swelling under its muddy meniscus like a body rolling in sleep in a blanket. The times you came home to find the armchairs floating, the carpet a quicksand, the tables at unprecedented levels, the baby awash in his Moses basket and me bailing madly as he rose to the ceiling. Yet here we all are, no worse than muddy. And look, the hills emerging, exactly the same, casual as knees. Um, Here's another one about the, the, the truly appalling experience of being stuck in the kitchen with your toddler. Um, I, I, I do think it's a very strong temptation to respond to a child at the age that they're giving to you. So, you know, you do find yourself shouting at a toddler in the same way as you find yourself going, well, whatever, with your teenager. Um, and, when, and I think that that is also, I think the reason there's not much writing about that is it's very, very scary. To return to that bit of primal rage. 
So um, this, this is about that storm. So here, at the height of this summer of wrong, in this wrong hour of this most wrong day, in the heart of the week which went awry, now, while the rain washes the window free of every roof we know, of every tree, you and I, small ones, have come to an impasse. You're red, half-dressed, pushing your car up the hill of the chair. I'm white, flat out in a field of trousers, listening to the wind, which is your own twin, darling, howl for its place its proper seasons and bash our doors and walls with its enormous kitchen roll tube trumpet. Um, another strange thing about parenting is that you always seem to have missed the good bit or you were, during the good bit you were busy and then you, you arrive at the other end um, and I was always planning to have a great summer. Th this, um, this poem is called Rhymes for September. Um, it's about getting to September and wondering where it went, where the summer went. And all, all of them are rhymes for September. I was just pointing out, I often do that, but they, and they come at the end of the line. Not bad. <coughs> yeah. <laughs> Your wrist sticks an inch from this spring sweater as you pick the first curled leaf from the water, and the turnips on your trousers are two turns shorter and the sun's sunk to some kind of bath chair angle, and the cat's paw breeze is riffling my paper, flipping the date line over and over. Where are they now, our gold afternoons at the Lido? This year I meant to wax them over, store the picture of us in pellucid water, two akimbo flies in amber, all winter in the soot of my mind's cellar. But only last night, now I come to remember, I heard the boy next door start his meander up the first four notes of a new trumpet air. It was when the saints, all spring and summer. Now it's how many roads? And there's my answer. Um, I was going to read two more poems. So this is um, called The Dream of Warm Things, and the child is a bit older now. Um, and it's about, it's, it's about children's books, which is one of the, one of the things, one, one of the best reasons to have a child is to read them, the children's books. Um, and we've been on an unsuccessful outing. All the way back, he talks about the calf we saw in the field, a Jersey calf with a thick cream coat, which he was scared of, in fact, when it stumped over the hummocked grass to greet us knots in its furry, fly-blown ears. We watched it take its milk, and now he wants to make sure of its mother and father, wants to call them down from the rapidly distancing hills, wants to wrap the calf in a blanket, press it safely under cover, the way Peter and Mopsy are pressed in their book, neat in their linen, rush-lit bed, the way his whole world lately is honeycombed with dreams of warm things, mice about their tiny, humid lives, spiders, snug in spouts. I stroke the soft, hot dome of his forehead, the furrow where the line will come, and say yes to the calf in his unlikely blankets, the private, familial life of the flea. 
I say, all of them are warm enough. All of them are tucked up now, listening to their mother's stories as the globe turns to the enfolding darkness, as we draw up and stop the car in the dark. Um, and the book, the selected poems, ends really with, this was my last poem, so it's an answer to, to Slatten. Um, and it's called Stance, because when you have a child, you, the way you stand and the world changes, um, and also how you stand you know, with your child on your hip. Stance. Now I sit my child on the jut of my hip and cake his weight with the curve of my waist like a tree split at the fork, like lovers leaning out of a waltz. Nothing is lost. I was never one of those girls stood slim as a sapling. I was often alone at the dance. Thank you.